Have you ever heard a fellow Christian say something to the effect, I have a friend or a family member, they're not Christians, but they're seeking after God. Have you ever heard that? Maybe you've said it. They're not believers, but they're seeking. They're, they're seekers. Now, there's a big problem with that statement. And this is the problem. That the Bible makes abundantly clear that man in his natural state, unregenerate man, never seeks after God. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans None is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. You see, you and I know that man has been running from God since the fall in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve committed cosmic treason against God, man became a fugitive, and all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation describes fallen men as fugitives. Man is on the run. He's running as hard and as fast as he can from his Creator. He's doing so because he's born in sin. And if you need a greater explanation of that, when you go home today, read Romans chapters 1 through 3 and then read Ephesians 2. And you'll see that the Apostle Paul makes clear that all of us come into the world spiritually dead. We are natural-born enemies of God at our birth. We come into this world physically alive, but spiritually we are stillborns. We are DOA, dead on arrival. I remember reading an article once that described why well-meaning and well-intentioned Christians believe that unregenerate people can seek after God. And this article gave two reasons. And the first reason it gave was that believers read the Bible and they come across scriptures like Isaiah 55, 6. You remember what that says. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near and well-meaning Christians say see it's right here why would God command and that's a whole nother subject but why would God ask man to seek after him if man cannot seek after him well we have to as we read the scriptures make sure that we don't take a text and pull it out of its context the context of that text in Isaiah is this, that Isaiah is not talking to the heathen nations around Israel. He's talking to Israel. He's saying to Israel, repent and come back to the God who rescued you, not only from physical slavery from Egypt, but from spiritual slavery to sin. Come and seek the Lord while he may be found. It was Israel that was called, the people of God who was called to seek after God. And in the New Testament, it's the believer who is told to seek after God and his righteousness. And the second reason that many Christians think that unbelieving family members or friends are seeking after God is this, 
They see their unbelieving friends and family desiring, listen, peace of mind, relief from a guilty conscience, and lasting joy. They may see those things in you, and they desire it. Every man, every woman desires freedom from a guilty conscience. But as Thomas Aquinas wisely stated once, unregenerate man may seek the benefits that flow from God, but unregenerate man never seeks God for himself. You see, the unbelieving world may want the blessings that flow from the Savior, but they don't want the Savior. And neither did you, and neither did I. We were DOA, dead on arrival. Now in our text this morning, we read about a man named Zacchaeus. And we're told that he went seeking after Jesus. And he did go seeking after Jesus. Now you, you may be thinking, now wait a minute, Paul. You just took about four minutes to explain why unregenerate man cannot seek after God. And it is clear in our text that Nicodemus is not a saved man before he meets Jesus. So how is it, some may, someone may ask, that this unregenerate man is seeking to know and to see Jesus? Well, I'm really glad you asked me that question, but I'm not going to answer it just yet. I'm going to let it just hang there for just a minute. And we're going to go a different road for just a few minutes. I want us first to take a close look at this man named Zacchaeus. Let's get to know him just a little bit. Let's do a little biographical sketch on him. Let's see what we can't learn about him. Then we will examine why it is that he's seeking after Christ. Okay, are you ready? Are you with me? You haven't drifted off, have you? Stay with me. Let's go. Let's get to know this man named Zacchaeus. We're told by Luke that he is a chief tax collector. That's an important point. He wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. That means that under his leadership, he had a band of tax collectors doing his dirty work. And since he was a chief tax collector, as Luke tells us, the second thing that we know about Zacchaeus is that he was a very wealthy man. You could say old Zac stood at the top of the tax collector pyramid scheme, or as I like to tell the inmates when I go into prison and preach this message, old Zac had a side hustle. You see, Zach wasn't just collecting money that the Romans wanted, but he got a big cut of it himself. He was a chief tax collector. He was a very wealthy man, and he was a despised man. Now, how do we know that? Well, if you read the Gospels, it doesn't take long before you realize what the Jews thought about tax collectors. In fact, they had a saying about people they didn't like. 
the Pharisees, scribes, the religious leaders, and other, believe, uh, other religious Jews would say the tax collectors and the sinners. They lumped the tax collectors in with all of those who were of ill repute and the reject and those that were rejected in society. He was a wealthy man. He was a chief tax collector. He was a wealthy man. And he was a despised man. Now, why was he so despised? Well, as I just alluded to, he, collect, he collected taxes for the Romans. And we know that the Romans were an occupying force. It's not so much that the Jews hated paying taxes. I don't mean to suggest that they loved it. But they were used to it. They understood the need for taxes. If you go back into the Old Testament and you study the Old Testament, you see that the Jews, the Hebrews, paid taxes under the theocracy. Once they had kings and rulers, they paid taxes to their kings and to their rulers. It wasn't that they hated paying taxes. They were used to that. They just didn't want to pay taxes to the Romans, to the occupying force. They wanted Israel to regain the status that Israel once had among the nations. And here they have a fellow Jew living among them who is working for the enemy. And they hated him for it. They despised him for it. And they rejected him over it. What else do we know about Zacchaeus? We've learned that he was a chief tax collector. We've learned that he was a very wealthy man. He stood at the top of the pyramid scheme. Rome got their cut, and then they didn't care what he did with the rest of it, so he got the biggest portion, and then the rest of the tax collectors under him would take and divvy it up, and it afforded a very, very nice and comfortable lifestyle, and he was despised for it. Well, Luke tells us something else about Zacchaeus. Did you catch it in the text? We are told that he was small in stature. I find that very interesting. Now, I know that Luke is setting us up, isn't he? He's setting us up for when Zacchaeus is going to meet Jesus. He's setting us up for that dramatic event when this little man climbs a sycamore tree so that he can gaze upon the Savior. But I think there might be more to it than just that. Now, I want you to... Humor, humor me for just a moment. I'm not a psychologist, but I'm going to play one for just a second. And this, what I'm about to say, is my commentary. It's my thinking. It's not in the text, so do with it what you will. But if Zacchaeus was a small man, I think it stands to reason he was a small child. And he was a small teenager. And we all know how loving and gentle children can be with one another, don't we? Zacchaeus was a small child. He was an easy target for bullies. 
And we know how bullies operate. They look for the smallest and the weakest, and they show no mercy. I think it's probably plausible to say that Zacchaeus was picked on as a kid. And I don't know about you, but I'm fascinated by what forms us and what shapes us. I mean, haven't you ever wondered, <laughs> thinking about that spe special family member, haven't you ever wondered, why are they like that? Or have you ever wondered, why do I do the things that I do? Well, I think what drove Zacchaeus's success, one thing that drove it, was the fact that he was small in stature, or what is called a Napoleon complex. I think this old boy had a Napoleon complex. And I think that he started forming early in his mind, one day, one day I'm going to grow up, and I'm going to be a success. I'm going to be the richest I'm going to have the most houses. I'm going to have the best toys. And when all these jive time turkeys walk by my stuff, they're going to be green with envy. One day, I'm going to be the man. I think that's what was going on in Zacchaeus. But for all of his wealth, and for all of his worldly success, he could not find peace within. Now, everything I just said was conjecture about his stature, but this is not conjecture. This man was a restless man. For as St. Augustine once said very well, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. I don't care how much money you've got. I don't care how big your bank account is. I don't care how set you are for retirement. Unless you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you are merely existing. You are not living. For outside of Jesus Christ, there is no life. I think Zacchaeus, I don't think, I know Zacchaeus was a miserable man. Because whenever we bow down and worship idols, those idols are never enough. I'll never forget a conversation that I had with a very wealthy man. And at some point in the conversation, he looked at me and he said, Paul, is this all there is to life? He had climbed the corporate ladder. He was a CEO of a company not just known in the, in the United States. It was known around the world. He flew on corporate jets. And he looked at me and he said, is this all there is to life? And Zacchaeus, for all of his gathering of wealth and for all of his worldly success, I can't help that late at night when he would go home and when he would lay his head down on that pillow, he would think to himself, is this it? Is this all there is to life? There's got to be more. 
Now Zacchaeus had heard that a Galilean preacher was coming to town. And he had heard about Jesus. Jesus' reputation preceded him. Zacchaeus heard that deaf ears had been opened and blind eyes had received sight and the dead were restored back to their family. He had heard how Jesus took a little boy's lunch and fed 5,000. And I think Zacchaeus's curiosity was piqued over those stories, but I don't think that's what really got Zacchaeus's attention, not the main thing. This is what I think the main thing was. He heard about who Jesus hung out with. And it was like, it was unlike any other preacher he had ever heard about. The scribes and the Pharisees wouldn't be caught dead at a tax collector's table. They wouldn't cross the street to help someone they consider a social outcast so that they would not become ceremonially unclean. But not so with Jesus. He had heard, Zacchaeus that is, had heard that Jesus hung out with the motley crew. He hung out with the prostitutes and the alcoholics. He hung out with those that were broken and that were hurting and that were outcasts and nobody else wanted them but Jesus did. And I can tell you without a doubt that Jesus wanted them back then and Jesus wants them today. Every time I step on a yard, every time I go into a unit, I realize that I'm not taking Jesus with me but Jesus is already there waiting for me to get there. And if our churches aren't acceptable to those that don't look like us, that don't come from our social circles, that don't make the kind of money that we make, we are dishonoring our God and our Savior. We better be careful how we treat people. People who don't look like us, who don't speak our language, who don't live in our neighborhoods. If they're not accepted through those doors, one day we will stand before our maker and we will give an account for it. Zacchaeus' natural curiosity was piqued, but something else was going on in Zacchaeus, something much deeper. Now I'm getting back to the original question. How could it be that this wretched, self-centered, self-seeking, greedy little man went looking for Jesus? This is how. Because the effectual call of the Spirit had left the throne room of heaven. And God was on hot pursuit for this predestined elect sinner. Whew. Somebody needs to say amen. 
or I'm going to take off running in just a second. God was in pursuit. And I don't care how hard you run or how hard you try to hide. When God has marked you out to make you his own, he always gets his man or his woman. So if you're sitting here thinking today that God just simply let me in out of pity and he simply accepts me at his table, God the Father, because of Jesus, oh friend, you don't know the heart of the Father. God sent the Prince of Heaven not for good people but for wretched sinners like us. The effectual call had gone out. That irresistible call and Zacchaeus may have tried to put Jesus out of his mind, but every time he counted a money pile, he heard, Zacchaeus. Every time he tried to hang out with his cronies and forget about this Galilean preacher, he heard, Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus does something very out of character. He leaves his home decked out in designer clothes. Now, you've got to see this. Designer clothes that everybody else has paid for. And this little man goes to see Jesus because he's being drawn by the sovereign seeker. You see, the true seeker in this story, yes, Zacchaeus is seeking, but the, he's only seeking because the sovereign seeker is looking for him. And he goes and he meets a crowd and he's trying to see Jesus, but he, he's small and he's short and he, he can't see. And I don't have time to run this rabbit trail, but let me tell you, there will always be a crowd. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as, as Savior, there is always a crowd that will try to keep you from the Savior. And I got news for all the brothers and sisters here today. That when you're trying to draw closer to your Savior, there's always a crowd that will try to keep you from the Savior. And don't be shocked when you discover that a lot of them are church folk. But Zacchaeus won't be denied. God is dealing with this sinner. And so he climbs the sycamore tree. He doesn't just climb it alone. Zacchaeus climbs it weighed down by the guilt and the burden and the shame of all of his sin and his cheating and his lying and robbing. He's weighed down, but he climbs that sycamore tree, that sycamore tree that the sovereign seeker put right there for him. For in him, the Lord Jesus Christ... All things were made, and without him was not anything made that was made. 
This sinful man looks down that dusty road. And what does he behold but the Prince of Heaven? And Jesus walks right up to that tree, walks right through that religious crowd, that crowd that had their own dreams and visions of what Jesus was to be. And here comes again the effectual call. He says, Zacchaeus, not Pharisee, although he dined with the Pharisees, none of the religious crowd, none of those who had great aspirations for him to be a great political leader, none of those people that could get him to where they wanted him to be. Zacchaeus, a rejected societal outcast. Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm going to your house today. And Zacchaeus came down immediately and we're told that the crowd erupted with great joy. No. They were ticked. I had to watch myself there. They, they were ticked. They were upset. How could this man our leader, go eat with this sinner. Now that's everything you need to know about that crowd. What they thought about themselves, what they thought about Zacchaeus, and what they thought about Jesus. We're not told what was said at the dinner that day. But we do know this, that the Savior was in the house. And when the Savior's in the house, Sinners are rescued. Zacchaeus looks at him, and if if Zac I wish I could have been there, because if Zacchaeus was married, I would have loved to have seen the expression on his wife's face. Lord, half of what I own, I give to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone, Zacchaeus, if you've cheated anyone, well, that's okay, we'll work with you. If I've cheated anyone, I'll repay it fourfold. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house today. Now, wait a minute. Had salvation come to the house because Zacchaeus decided to do good works? No. The Savior was in the house. The effectual call had gone out to the elect sinner. He had responded by the gift of faith to unmerited unearned sovereign grace and mercy and because all those things all those divine dominoes fell he was a changed man you see Jesus saves us in spite of who we are but he loves us too much to leave us the way he finds us and then I wish I had time to go into this then Jesus said I love this <laughs> truly this man is a son of Abraham. Oh, I know there must have been fair. That got back to the Pharisees. That day, Zacchaeus laid down the burdens that he carried. That he went up that little sycamore tree and carrying the burdens of his shame and guilt. That day, he laid those burdens down at the feet of Jesus. And here I'm coming to a close. This is why we're saved. 
The sovereign seeker took those burdens. He took Zacchaeus' burdens of sin and shame. He took your burdens of sin and shame and my burdens of sin and shame and he went up the cross of Calvary. Alas, and did my Savior die and did my sovereign bleed? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for crimes that I had committed, that I had done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love without degree. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ today, the Bible says, listen to how good and gracious God is. All who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. If you're sitting here today and you have lost loved ones and friends and you're burdened for them, that burden comes from the Spirit of God. If you love them, imagine how much God loves them. Don't lose hope for the sovereign seeker is on the case.